Ah, and we are live. Welcome back to Takes by Fans. We got a great show for you today. As always, we are live every single day at noon Eastern. If you want to watch live, head over to twitch.tv slash Takes by Fans. If you want to watch but not live, head over to our YouTube channel, Takes by Fans. We post all of our shows and clips of the show there on a daily basis. And if you just want to listen, we are on podcasting apps, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, I heart radio so however you want to watch or listen we've got you covered multiple ways all righty today is a big all monday folks coming off of a money filled father's day whoo folks folks if you're not following us on twitter folks you got to follow us on twitter at takes by fans i mean we hit the father's day special we tweeted out our Father's Day special of Suns minus three and a half. That hits real early in the afternoon. Well, late in the afternoon, I should say. But then we told those dads, hey, if you made some money with us, bet it all. Risk all your winnings on Hawks plus seven. And folks, they went out right. So all those dads getting paid yesterday, you got to love it. That's what we do here. It takes by fans, folks. We bless your family, your mothers, your fathers. We hit the Mother's Day special back, uh, what? what was Mother's Day? Last month, two months ago? whenever that was but folks we are making your families rich out here come on come on all right so today on the show we are going to be breaking down all the nba games from last night and on saturday just because we couldn't uh do the show yesterday unfortunately uh so we'll break down all those great playoff games we're gonna preview this uh the finals the eastern conference finals and the western conference finals even though the suns and the clippers have already played a game one we're gonna give our overview thoughts of that and then we'll also talk about the hawks and the bucks uh eastern conference finals as well so we'll kind of go through that. And then we're also going to be continuing on with Aaron Rodgers judging him in the uh, in the playoffs because uh, they got a wild card game against the 49ers. And they lose 2013 wild card versus the 49ers. Once again, Colin Kaepernick beating Aaron Rodgers again two years in a row. One's in the league now. One's blackballed from ever being in the league again. Who's really better? I'll let y'all to decide, but we'll go over that game and see what we got and see how many credit points out of 100 we can give Aaron Rodgers for that uh, playoff performance. And a uh, big unfortunate, big unfortunate news today. There is no NBA playoff basketball on today. How frustrating. So games resume uh, tomorrow, Tuesday, Clippers-Suns game two, and then we've got... Uh, Wednesday, the start of the Eastern Conference Finals of the Hawks and the Bucks. So, unfortunately, no money maker on tonight, but we're ready to get that uh, money in your wallet tomorrow. Resuming, I mean, folks, we've we've won our last three bets. We took uh, Bucks plus one and a half. They went outright. We took uh, Suns minus three and a half. They win by six, seven. And we just chose the Hawks plus seven last night as well. And, like, uh, they just went outright. So, folks, we are we are on it now. We are in it. We are on it. We know the, the season, the entire regular season, the first and second rounds of the playoffs have all been leading to this moment. And we've been, you know, tracking it, figuring out what is actually good, what is actually bad, reviewing every single game. And now, folks, Folks, we're in it. We know what to expect. We know what spreads are good value, what spreads are bad value. So get on the train at the tail end. That's when you make the most money, when you have all the information presented to us and we're cashing in, folks. So be ready to ride this money train as we head into the NBA Finals and uh, beyond. So 
Let's just jump right into it and uh, with the stories of the day. And the first one up, once again, we got to get big on this Rams team, folks. It seems like every week we're talking about a great story coming from this Rams team. And we buy them 100% every single time, folks. We're at like 800% buying into this Rams team. So let's go to this article. We get a couple of Sean McVay quotes. And once again, you know, we got to love Sean McVay as a true head coach in this league. And the pressure is on him. But everything he says makes us believe that we can definitely uh, back him up and get behind him and truly believe in what he's going to do this season. So Sean McVay says Rams are, quote, not going to run away from the expectations. So many expectations on this Rams team, folks. They just feel like Sean McVay has always kind of been vocal that they are just a quarterback away from being the elite team to finally win it all and not just get to the Super Bowl and lose and put up three points. So Sean McVay, now has Matthew Stafford, who he pick and chose, folks. He got rid of Jared Goff, and he traded for Matt Stafford. So this is the quarterback that Sean McVay believes can get it done. So if he, if Sean McVay can't get it done with Matthew Stafford, then we can kind of write off Sean McVay a little bit. But if he does get it done and win the Super Bowl with Matthew Stafford, I mean, we're talking about this man has to be in the same conversation as Andy Reid and uh, Bill Belichick and now Bruce Arians as, you know, top coaches in this league. So let's Let's go in this article right here and see what Sean McVay is truly saying out here because we gotta, we, we're going to buy him, folks. This quote right here, they're not running away from the expectations. They will embrace it. They know there's a lot of pressure on them, but hey, you just got to go out there and do what you're supposed to do, and that's win the game. So let's see what we get in this article. Alrighty, what do we got? <clears throat> Alright, in June, on paper, the Rams should be one of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' biggest threats in the NFC to a potential repeat. In an interview with Albert Breer, Coach Sean McVay said he and his club embraced those expectations. Quote, you're not going to run away from the expectations. Every single team in the NFL has one goal right now, and that's to win a Super Bowl. Absolutely. Folks, I really hate this kind of rebuilding, the rebuilding term in the NFL. Oh, you know, well, yeah, you know, we're not really, you know, Super Bowl is not our goal. We're in the rebuild, so we just want to keep getting better. Maybe win, you know, five, six, seven games. No, it's always Super Bowl, Super Bowl or bust with everybody, with folks, with every team, even the Lions. It's Super Bowl or bust, folks. You play to win the game you don't play for next season because nobody knows what's going to happen next season folks you think you're on track on a uh, having an overall kind of arcing plan of like a two three year rebuild but you don't know what's going to happen next year you don't know what the draft picks are going to look like you don't know just kind of the the uh the unforeseen circumstances that are going to pop up in your own organization the texans i'm sure they had a kind of rebuild plan and then uh, bill o'brien was absolutely garbage and you had to fire him and and now Deshaun Watson, you don't even know if he's going to be able to play this year. He doesn't even want to play for you in the lawsuit and all this. You don't even know. So big question marks in that Texans organization because... It's it's something different every year, folks. Something is going to arise every year that you did not expect, which is going to throw off your rebuild to expand the rebuild even further. And then eventually the rebuild never comes to fruition and you just wasted five, six, seven, eight, ten. Did you waste an entire decade of trying to kind of set everything up to win in the future, folks? So it's always Super Bowl or bust with everybody. I hate that teams try to plan to win in two or three years and has it ever worked when has a plan like that ever worked folks 
I'm trying to think. Zero. The Bucks didn't have that plan. They're like, yeah, we're going to win this season. Tom Brady here year one. Yeah, we're not going to play for a year two with Tom Brady. No, we're going to win now. We're going to win now. And what do they do? They want it now. Stop this kind of long process of two, three, four year rebuilds. It never works, folks. The Lions have been rebuilding for 40 years. Absolute garbage. So stop this. And I love that Sean McVay is like, you know what? This isn't kind of, oh, all right. First year with Matthew Stafford. All right, let's at least get to the playoffs. Second year, we can try to compete for a championship game. But year three, that's when we're really going to go all in to try to win the Super Bowl. Because you can't win You can't win year one in this league. Yes, you can, folks. Yes, you can. We just saw Tom Brady do it. So stop this entire rebuild nonsense. It makes zero sense. You you play to win the game. You play to win the championship every single year. So I love what we're getting here early from Sean McVay. But let's continue with the quote. All right, uh, quote, and I believe the teams that know and the teams that have actually accomplished that, they know that you only do that by being where your feet are planted. The one thing I would say, there's a belief in the ability to do what you want to be able to do. Now, you don't do that unless you are where your feet are planted, but there's a belief, there's a confidence in the people you're around. Yeah, go out and get the pieces that you want. Everybody buying into the same mentality. Let's go out there and win. All right, quote, and when you enjoy that, you're not going to ask anybody to do anything that's more than they can actually accomplish. And there's a real peace of mind that accompanies that if you know, hey, there's got to be hard work. There's got to be a process. There's got to be standards that we uphold day in and day out. But you know what? If we do those things, if I believe we can go into games and expect to be able to come away with the result that we want. Alrighty. Um, what else do we get here? Um, another quote here. McVay is thrilled to have the big armed quarterback in the building. Once again, this is this is the biggest story of the Rams, folks. Can Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford both win together? Can Matthew Stafford finally get it done when he has a competent team and a competent coach around him and he's not just playing backyard football for 16 games? And can Sean McVay lead a great quarterback that has proven time and time again that he's kind of top 10 quarterback in this league and Matthew Stafford and get him to the Super Bowl. So this is really the meat and potatoes of what this Rams offseason is. Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford. What are they going to do this season? But here we go. Sean McVay on uh, Matthew Stafford. Quote, bro, this dude's a bad motherfucker. Yes, sir. Love it. Quote, whatever people say about him, as good as it can be, he's even better than advertised. Whoa. Yes. Uh, it makes sense to him. The guy's ability to see the game, his ability to draw on his experiences, the feel that he has. It's pretty special and unique. And man, his feel for people, his authentic way of connecting with his teammates, his coaches, this guy, it's been it's been great being around him. So Sean McVay is loving everything about Matthew Stafford. Sean McVay is saying that he's even better than advertised. And we know Sean McVay wanted Matthew Stafford. That's why he went out and got him. And he's even surprised by how great this man actually is when he's actually in your building playing for your team. So the sky is truly the limit here for this Rams team. How can the big brain of Sean McVay handle the big arm and great ability and just kind of great overall 
quarterback. That is Matthew Stafford, folks. So it is truly Super Bowl or bust here for the Rams. Absolutely, 100%. Sean McVay's legacy on the line. Um... And so is Matthew Stafford's kind of legacy. His legacy is also on the line as well because, you know, we've all kind of written off, gave free passes to Matthew Stafford. Just be like, oh, they, I mean, he, he was working with freaking um, uh, Matt Patricia. <laughs> You're not doing anything with that. Oh, they've got no weapons anywhere. Their defense is trash. Their front office is trash. So, yes, we all acknowledge that Matthew Stafford's a great quarterback, but here's a free pass after a free pass after a free pass after a free, free I mean, folks, this man's got 20 free passes that he just, you know, hey, hey, anybody got criticism for me? Look at all these free passes I got. Yes, sir. Free pass, free pass. Head coach, free pass. Garbage talent, free pass. Um, uh, general manager, free pass for being trash. So, yes, you can't critique me, but now, there's no more free passes for Matthew Stafford, folks. All those are gone. He will never get another one. He is in a great system. Sean McVay is highly regarded. The entire roster offensively, the defensive roster is entirely kind of, you know, elevated in the media. So it is boom or bust, do or die, Super Bowl or bust for both the uh, the head coach and the quarterback here for the Rams. And, hey, we got big expectations for them. We have them getting to the Super Bowl against the Colts, and that's going to be a fantastic matchup. And, uh, Whoever wins, great. Their legacies will be, you know, cemented, whether it's, you know, Carson Wentz getting revenge for the Eagles or Sean McVay saying, hey, I told y'all, Jared Goff is just not the guy. It's unfortunate, but I told y'all. So we're going to see how this season plays out. Cannot wait, folks, for this uh, NFL season to kick off. And uh, we will be uh, focusing big under the microscope of what this Rams team is going to do all year. Alrighty, let's keep moving on here. Oh, and I also kind of wanted to bring up this point real quick. Kind of uh, didn't get to it in the article, but back here with the Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford thing, you need a good quarterback to win the Super Bowl, folks. You need like we're gonna talk about the uh, the past Super Bowl winners. You need a good quarterback. So we're, we give, you know, Sean McVay a little bit of a pass early for having Jared Goff because, you know, he did get to the Super Bowl with Jared Goff, but they put up like three points in that Super Bowl, seven or three points. No, it was three. They lost 13 to three. So this is the, the previous Super Bowl winners quarterbacks, folks. Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, Nick Foles, a little bit of an outlier there, obviously. He just kind of caused some magic. So that's kind of one outlier in that. But then we're back to Tom Brady. We're back to Peyton Manning. We're back to Tom Brady. We're back to Russell Wilson. We're back to uh, Joe Flacco. That's a little bit of an outlier as well. Now we're back to uh, Eli Manning. We got uh, Aaron Rodgers. We got Drew Brees. We've got Big Ben. We got Eli Manning. We've got Peyton Manning. We've got Big Ben again. We've got Tom Brady again. We've got Tom Brady again. We've got... uh, who was 2003 for the Bucks? What the heck is this? Quarterback, what do we got? Sean McDermott was what? What was he? Long snapper. Look at that. Sean McDermott on that ta- on the Bucks 2002 Super Bowl winning team. Fantastic. All righty, but who is the quarterback on this team? Hmm hmm hmm. Give me the quarterback. What is this? Two thousand two bucks. 
John Gruden, wow, his head coaching. Yeah, that was John Gruden's uh, Super Bowl win right there that he gets all the credit for. And I was kind of floundering a little big time, a little big time here and uh, being the head coach of the Raiders. We got uh, Brad Johnson, folks. Brad Johnson. All righty. He was good. Let's see Brad Johnson. I don't even know who the heck that is, to be honest. Brad Johnson. Was he a good quarterback? I don't think so. I don't think so, but let's see. All righty, what do we got? Career completion percentage, 61%. All right, that's solid. His uh, touchdown and interception ratio in 2002 when they won it, uh, 22 to 6. That's what we're talking about. 62% completion percentage, 3,000 yards. You know, early in the 2000s, not a lot of yards. We're kind of looking at the 2010 to right now with that 4,000-yard marker we love to see. And he only threw for 4,000 yards once. Uh, 4,000 yards uh, once. So, I mean, in the past, you know, 20 years, folks, it's Tom Brady, Eli Manning, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, folks. Those are the elite quarterbacks in this league. So, you need an elite quarterback to win it all. And we'll see what Matt Stafford and the Rams can do this year. All right, let's keep moving on here. Going to the Cardinals. And, man, oh, man, they've got a great offensive core here with a great passer of Kyler Murray. And now we're talking A.J. Green says pairing with DeAndre Hopkins in Arizona is, quote, going to be unbelievable. Yes, sir. A.J. Green, folks, he's fantastic. You know, he was with the Bengals with Andy Dalton. That's why, you know, a little lackluster in his overall accomplishments for A.J. Green. Just because, I mean, you're, you're pair, paired with Andy Dalton. That's nothing great. We see this man not really get it done. Uh, career kind of eight and eight, nine and seven guy, nothing great. Uh, you know, first round exits of the playoffs every single time he got into the playoffs. No long, deep playoff runs for Andy Dalton. But now he's paired up with DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, they've got it all over there offensively for the Cardinals. So let's see what Ari J. Green is saying about his new team. So, A.J. Green spent the majority of his decade in Cincinnati as the man, racking up five consecutive 1,000-yard receiving seasons. Yes, sir, that's what we're talking about, 1,000-yard receiving seasons, and he went back to back to back to back to back, folks, five straight. In seven straight uh, Pro Bowls to open his career. After signing a one-year contract in Arizona this offseason, Green will now play alongside another alpha receiver in DeAndre Hopkins. Pairing two-star receivers could create issues for other clubs, but Green and Hopkins, who... They are, as players, get along swimmingly. During a recent interview on The Fly with Lisa Matthews, Green said he's thrilled to play alongside a talent like Hopkins. Quote, I never played with a guy like D-Hop. The guy is unbelievable, man. He embraced me. We don't have egos. He's telling me, like, if you want to run a route and I'm at that position, just let me know. So you have a guy like that, two guys that in a room, it's going to be unbelievable. And we feed off of each other. So once again, that's great. That's exactly what you want to hear. Kind of like what Julio Jones is doing with the Titans now with A.J. Brown. Be like, no, no, no. This, we good. Yeah, if you, you, you keep number two, I don't need that number. We're good. 
you know, we're going to get along great. You're a great talent. I'm a great talent. I'm just trying to fit in here. I'm not trying to take over and now be the new number one, anything like that. This is still, you know, our, your kind of team. Now it's our team, and we're going to get it done equally. And DeAndre Hopkins is saying the same thing. DeAndre Hopkins could have went on the offensive and attack and be like, no, whoa, 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 I'm, I'm the number one here. AJ Green, I know you're good, but you're a little out of your prime, kind of going out of your prime a little bit. I'm just in my prime. So you take the number two over there. Stay over there on that side of the field and don't get in my way no 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 he's nothing like that he's embracing having that other great talent because that's going to in turn open up what DeAndre Hopkins can do because you're not going to be able to kind of double DeAndre Hopkins if AJ Green is going to get out to a hot start in the season you're going to have to kind of you know have a single high safety and then just kind of live and die by whoever's open hopefully uh it hopefully it doesn't cost you the game but it could potentially cost you the game so can't really double DeAndre Hopkins as much as you want to this year, especially if uh, A.J. Green is going to kind of go back to what he was doing with those Bengals years um, with Andy Dalton. He was looking real great there. So love that they're embracing each other. This is exactly what you need in an offense that's surrounded by absolute loot absolutely great talent you can't have you know one just kind of being hey I'm the man you're just kind of you know my uh, destiny's child like Beyonce like no 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 y'all get behind me I am the face I am going to have my own solo career y'all are my children get behind me you're the backup dancers you're the backup vocalists and if you say more than two words I'm kicking you off and I'll replace you DeAndre Hopkins is not Beyonce folks okay so love that they're both embracing each other they're ready to get it done how tall is A.J. Green? Because uh, DeAndre Hopkins isn't that tall. He's like 6'1", 6'2", which is still solid. And A.J. Green's 6'4", folks. So, absolutely love it. All right, let's uh, finish the couple of quotes here. Here we go. Green believes he'll be rejuvenated in his move to Arizona alongside Hopkins and with Kyler Murray as quarterback. Quote, it's not just D-Hop and me. It's the it's just the whole offense. You know with what K-1 can do, Kyler Murray, can do there and see Kirk, Christian Kirk, uh, you're going to have to pick your poison on game day on Sundays. That is absolutely true. They've got wide receivers on wide receivers on wide receivers. The only place where the Cardinals could run into a few issues is their running game. They had Kenyon Drake last year, who we are big on. He rushed for 1,000 yards last season, or very close, like 990-something with the Cardinals. But now they're just left with Chase Edmonds. So he's going to have to kind of step it up. He was kind of the number two running back last year, only 400 yards in touchdown, being the number two. So now he's elevated to the number one. And who's the Cardinals' number two? James Conner? from the Steelers who couldn't be a number one or even close to anything resembling a number one running back with them. So it's not the best running back uh, group here in the Arizona Cardinals and also their tight end. Once again, nothing that great. They don't really use their tight end that much. They got Max Williams and he only had... 100 yards last season. He did kind of get injured. He only played eight games, unfortunately, last season. But still, eight receptions for 102 yards and a touchdown. Not really using him that much. The only kind of green flag here is that he averaged 12.8 yards a carry or yards yards a catch, which is very good. If you extrapolate that for more catches, he could be that thousand yard receiver that you definitely want to have on your team. But uh, we'll see how they kind of figure out all their wide receiver weapons. We'll see how this kind of running game gets down. We know Kyler Murray can kind of, you know, take the top off the defense with his arm and also with his legs, his capability. He's one of the probably quickest, quickest quarterbacks that there are of dual threat quarterbacks in this league. So, 
They definitely have great wide receivers in uh, DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Green, and Christian Kirk. But their running game, if, uh, you know, they got no running game, the defense is just going to kind of be, you know, maybe doubling. They could potentially be able to double both wide receivers, DeAndre Hopkins and A.J. Green, just because they're going to use that kind of running back defender and go and place him, you know, on a wide receiver just because we're going to play the pass and not play the run because it's Chase Edmonds and James Conner back there. So we'll see how that all figures out. Uh, we'll see if kind of, you know, once again, Le'Veon Bell is still up for grabs, folks. He's a free agent, not signed yet. Uh, we got kind of this month of limbo period before training camp start it, with all these NFL teams. So we'll see where he goes. We really want to see him go to the, the Falcons. But if Le'Veon Bell goes to the Cardinals, that could be dangerous as well. So there is still some kind of promise here that this Cardinals team could get a little bit better in the running back position. And that would truly just kind of put them over the edge. We know they got a great kind of uh, defense as well. They got Buda Baker. They bring in JJ Watt. They got Chandler Jones. They got Zayvon Collins, Isaiah Simmons. So they've got real great kind of uh, pass rushers, linebackers, corners. They got, they did bring in Malcolm Butler as well, who's kind of been getting passed around the league. Remember he's the Super Bowl savior for the Patriots picking off Russell Wilson on the one-yard line, and then he they got rid of him basically the next season, and then he went to the Titans, and they used him for about a season or two and then got rid of him, so we'll see if Malcolm Butler can kind of be this great corner. They just lost Patrick Peterson. That's an elite Hall of Fame corner right there, so there is still a little holes in this Cardinals defense as well, but overall, it's pretty good. Just kind of like overall offensively, it's good. Maybe just kind of not very strong at corner and not very strong at running back but every other position is filled absolutely greatly. So we'll see how those kind of two holes play out here for this Arizona Cardinals team. But uh, A.J. Green's buying into it. They're all kind of getting along, and that's exactly what you want to see. Alrighty, let's uh, read this last quote here. Green added that the chance to win a championship was a deciding factor in his decision to move to Arizona. Quote, the potential of this team. I've been in Cincinnati so long, I don't know anything else. Uh, so for me, getting a chance to get out, it's all about winning and being in a great environment. And I think Arizona was the perfect situation. They have young guys. They're building this defense. They have a young quarterback. And I think I fit in well overall here with DeAndre Hopkins. Hopkins. So he wants that ring, folks, and I would love to see A.J. Green get the ring. Let's talk about this man's stats, folks. A.J. Mother-loving Green is absolutely fantastic. Like, he, like we write in the article, 1,000-yard seasons for the first five years, 1,057 yards year one, 1,350 yards year two, 1,426 yards year three, 1,041 yards year four, and 1,297 yards year five, folks. Then come year six, only playing 10 games, uh, but basically broke 1,000 yards in just those 10 games, 964 yards. Then he's back to 1,000 yards, playing 16 games in 2017, 1,078 yards. Then in 2018, once again, injury, only played nine games. 2019, injured as well, took that entire year off. And then just last season, I mean, coming to the very end here of his uh, Bengals career, uh, they were barely using him. He wasn't the number one. They know they were moving off of him, so they kind of, you know, used him very last. He only was targeted 
104 times, and he also only had a 32% catch percentage or 45% catch percentage. That's not good uh, for 500 yards. So we know A.J. Green in his prime is absolutely fantastic, and if you forgot about it, well, we got uh, a little highlight clip that can rejog your memory. So we went on YouTube and found A.J. Green top 10 plays of his career. Now, this video was posted in 2017, but he didn't do anything since 2017. So we should be able to see primetime A.J. Green out here. And we're going to take what this man says as the gospel. This man on uh, YouTube, NFL Real. And uh, he, whatever his uh, top play, top 10 plays of A.J. Green, we're going to take him as the top 10. We haven't previewed this. We don't know what these plays look like. But let's see what the top 10 plays of A.J. Green's career could be. Let's see if he can get back to that in Arizona with DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury. So here we go. Play number 10. Oh, and I love it. Fantastic. Uh, going from 10 to 1, if you ever, if you ever make a top 10 list and you start at number 1, you should be murdered, folks. 100%. That is not a joke. That is serious. You should be murdered for that. When you do a top 10 list, you do 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. You build up to that 1. Who the heck starts with number 1, folks? Absolutely uh, unforgivable. Unforgivable doing that. But here we go. St uh, starting with play number 10. Let's see what we get. All right, here we go. Against the Bengals on, or against the Ravens on fourth and 15. Last play of the game. Down seven. Hail Mary. And the ball tips all, all over the place here on a Hail Mary attempt. And it just winds up in A.J. Green's hands. All righty. Um, solid play there. Just a heads up play. Hey, he'll look for the ball. Here we go. Play number nine. What do we got? Against the Steelers. Down five. Under two minutes left in the fourth quarter. Andy Dalton not throwing the ball here. And it's kind of wide open to A.J. Green. Catches it. Touchdown. And they take a two-point lead with a minute 50 seconds left. All righty. Able to get open. Just lay down in that kind of soft spot of the zone. And he's able to get open. Here we go. Play number eight. A big old blowout here against the Vikings. They're on the one-yard line. A.J. Green. And there it is, just one-on-one -on -one coverage, baby. Yes, sir. Andy Dalton throws a decent one-on-one -on -one ball, back shoulder throw, and that's A.J. Green, baby, taking the contact, catching the ball. There was a flag thrown on this play. Doesn't matter. Oh, my God, they put up 42 points in through three quarters in this game. Gosh darn, folks. Look at that one-handed catch as well. A.J. Green, folks. Here we go. Now we're getting to some good catching plays here. Play number seven. They're down 13-0 against the Steelers. And that's A.J. Green, folks. Wide open. Oh! And the strength of A.J. Green, folks, able to stay on his feet. So they go deep. This is a 50-yard bomb to A.J. Green on the right sideline. And he catches it. And then uh, the defenders kind of catch up with to, to him on the 20-yard line. And he's able to shake off both defenders to finish the 70-yard touchdown in totality. Absolutely fantastic. Tall, 6'4", big, strong, will not go down easy, folks. Here we go. Play number six. What else do we get? Down two against the Ravens in the red zone. A.J. Green, a high-thrown ball, and it's just a nice comeback route here. And he goes up and gets it, folks. Just look at that extension, folks. Look at this man's extension at 6'4", and still able to get up that high. Gosh dang, folks. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. DeAndre Hopkins, like we said, he's only like 6'1 or 6'2". He plays like he's 6'5". He goes up and high points the ball, but having that on kind of the opposite side of the field as well... 
this is going to make Kyler Murray just throwing deep ball after deep ball after deep ball because both of these receivers, DeAndre Hopkins and A.J. Green, are just going to go up and get the ball, folks. Fantastic. All righty. Another replay. And gets two feet down and bounds. Fantastic. That extension, man. That's absolutely wild. Here we go. Play number five. What else do we get here? At the five-yard line, expect the one-on-one -on -one matchup here. Here we go. Tie game against the Chiefs, and there it is. The one-on-one 50-50 ball in the end zone, and it's thrown decently, and it's just A.J. Green winning over the defender. Look at this. Look at the difference, folks. He goes up and jumps over the defender. It's fantastic. Just look at the sheer size between him and the corner here, folks. He's mammoth. Mammoth over there. Absolutely fantastic. Here we go. Play number four. This time back at the five-yard line. Oh, my God. The Cardinals in the red zone are going to be unstoppable. Here we go. And it's a one-on-one -on -one matchup again. Again, folks. 50-50 ball thrown in the end zone. And once again, the extension, that reach-back ability, and then to get two feet in bounds. Oh, my gosh, folks. He's practically all the way out of bounds, and he's still able to get that last toe tap in. Once again, why A.J. Green is so magnificent. Yes, he's tall, and he's fast, and he's He's got the full extension and the length and all that, but that kind of boundary, the boundary kind of, um, um, oh man, I'm blanking on the word I want to use. The boundary, the respect, the boundary respect, folks. He'll go up, jump, you know, six feet in the air, doesn't matter, and then he's coming down wherever he is on the field and still finding the sideline and getting two feet down in bounds. Man, oh man. We saw that in like five of these plays that we've seen so far. Just getting those toe tabs down. Fantastic. Here we go. Play number three now. Down one against the Ravens, and they're going deep. A.J. Green all the way down the field. And once, oh, my gosh. Once again, if it's one-on-one -on -one after he beat the corner and he gets the catch and the safety comes over to try to make the tackle, it's 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 R.I.P. It's R.I.P. these defenders, folks. Holy moly. He will shake you off. He will juke you out of your shoes. Look at that. Able to, once again, the concentration, a little bit of a bobbled ball there, but he's still able to reel it in and then beats the safety by destroying that man's ankles. Oh, my God. Prime A.J. Green, folks. The concentration, the trackability of the ball, the killability with his jukes. Oh, my gosh. Here we go. Play number two at midfield, up four against the Browns. Andy Dalton slinging it all the way down the field, and it's just a jump ball situation to hell. Mary at the end of the first half and AJ Green comes down with it once again he's able to track that ball down after he kind of gets bobbled a little bit he's on his way falling down to the ground and he still has that recognition to find the ball that trackability to find the ball as it's just being bobbled in midair folks Man, fantastic. Here we go. Play number one. Is this the best play we've seen? Here we go. At the at their own 20-yard line, down three against the Ravens. 
Going deep, AJ Green, there he is, and he's got the speed to beat everybody, and once again, they're kind of, they're, the defense is starting to get him at the 30-yard line, and he's strong, and he's able to stay on his feet for the last 20 yards and beat everybody, folks. The monster strength, and just kind of, you cannot bring this man down, a true weeble wobble in the NFL, folks. AJ Green, DeAndre Hopkins. Hopkins, do we dare say the Cardinals are coming out of the West instead of the Rams or instead of the uh, the NFC? It could be, folks. It truly could be. So, man, oh, man, that is prime time, prime A.J. Green out here. Absolutely magnificent. So, hopefully he gets back to that because, you know, a little bit of an injury history over the last two, three, four years, not getting kind of that A1 Tier 1 status with the Bengals since they know they were going to kind of move off of him. And uh, how old is he? What do we got here? 32. All right. Still a couple. I'll, I'll give him probably two solid more years before we may start to see a drop off. But let's see if we can get back to that prime AJ Green that we just watched for 10 plays. Absolutely fantastic. All righty. Let's keep moving on here. Alrighty, here we go. We're not going to get into this article, but I just want to kind of talk about uh, the question proposed in the article. So here we go. State of the uh, San Francisco's 49ers, Super Bowl or bust in Kyle Shanahan's fifth season? Now, obviously, we just said at the top of the show, it's Super Bowl or bust for everybody, right? It's Super Bowl or bust for everybody. But could... Kyle Shanahan, like, are we going to be kind of critiquing Kyle Shanahan a thousand percent on this season just because we're in this, they're in this kind of weird limbo of kind of in a rebuild, but it's only a rebuild at the quarterback position moving on from Jimmy Garoppolo to Trey Lance. So they're in this kind of weird limbo on what they do. Now, Kyle Shanahan, he either starts Jimmy Garoppolo for the entire year or starts Trey Lance. It's going to be one of those two options. Now, where we kind of get into this weird kind of limbo, keep going on with this limbo is, you know, what does Kyle Shanahan do? Now, if he st if he starts Jimmy Garoppolo, then absolutely it's Super Bowl or bust. The the magnifying glass is under Kyle Shanahan 100,000% because we know what Jimmy Garoppolo can do. They've gotten to the Super Bowl with him when he's healthy, and that's kind of where the weird complexity and this issue comes in is that you know if Jimmy Gra if he starts Jimmy Garoppolo and they're winning and they're looking great but then he gets injured and then they have to go with Trey Lance not because they wanted to because that's why they didn't start him in the, in the beginning but they have to now because Jimmy Garoppolo's out for the year can we give you know a free pass to Kyle Shanahan for whatever happens the rest of the way like we've been giving Matt Stafford Matt Stafford free passes his entire career or if Kyle Shanahan starts Trey Lance, then it's definitely kind of the pressure's right back on. He's got no excuses because hey, you chose to start Kyle or you start you chose to start Trey Lance over Jimmy Garoppolo in the beginning of the season when Jimmy Garoppolo was healthy. So that kind of tells us that you believe in Trey Lance more than Jimmy Garoppolo. And then once again, it would be Super Bowl or bust. So I know I always, I know I just said it's always Super Bowl or bust for every single team. I get it. But if Kyle Shanahan starts Jimmy Garoppolo and they're winning and looking good and then he gets injured and then they have to go with Trey Lance, I think we could be 
giving Kyle Shanahan a free pass. I think Kyle Shanahan would be eligible for a free pass at that case. But everything else, Jimmy Garoppolo starts the entire season healthy throughout. Kyle Shanahan, Super Bowl or bust, big under the microscope. And if he starts Kyle Shanahan right from the rip, then once again, Super Bowl or bust and Kyle Shanahan right under that microscope as well. But there is, I think, this weird, not weird because it definitely could happen. It's probably more likely to happen than not because Jimmy Garoppolo Garoppolo can stay healthy, but if he starts Jimmy Garoppolo and then he gets injured, I think Kyle Shanahan would be eligible for a kind of a free pass of whatever happens this season, but he's going into his fifth season, he's been to the Super Bowl, blown a Super Bowl lead, the defense, you know, all riddled with, I mean, riddled with injury, I mean, that's the definition of what the 49ers have been these last two years, so we'll see if they can finally stay healthy and uh, what Kyle Shanahan can do at the quarterback position come time to make that decision, and let's see what he can do if, you know, like the last two years have been, just kind of things go crazy, injuries happen, and the entire season gets derailed. But uh, Kyle Shanahan may, may be able to earn a free pass this season, depending on what happens at the quarterback position. Alrighty, the last story to go over is a basketball story here, and um, man, oh man, so the 76ers lose last night, unfortunate for them, Hawks advance to the Eastern Conference Finals, shout out to the Hawks, Trey Young folks, absolutely magnificent out here. But the Sixers coach, Doc Rivers, was asked post-game if Ben Simmons can be the point guard on a championship team. Quote, I don't have the answer to that right now. Oh, boy, that is not what you want to hear from your head coach. Can this man win a championship? No, no, I don't. Well, I don't know. I don't know. That's not what he hear. That's not what you want to hear from your head coach. So it's not looking good here for the 76ers. They're probably going to blow it up. Ben Simmons, that's the talk of today, folks. Does he get traded? Do you move off of him? And I think the answer has to be kind of yeah it's unfortunate but this man cannot score he does not score at all folks and we kind of bought into it at the beginning of the season in the regular season when you know him and Joel Joel Embiid were winning games and looking good and they were the number one seed we were saying hey they could actually work together and win together but we just saw the culmination of this season when they were the number one seed everything was going right they had the outside shooters to kind of you know support their kind of only, you know, Joel and Joel Embiid being a big, he was their number one scoring option, and then Ben Simmons can't shoot, but they had those other outside scores to get it done, and Seth Curry... Tobias Harris and you know Danny Green and they also had a nice bench of Shake Milton and Corkmaz that could also score the ball as well so they had this great supporting cast for Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and we just saw how it ended being kind of tired and fatigued in the playoffs and Ben Simmons still not wanting to shoot the ball even come game seven folks when the game's on the line let's uh, read this man's accolades three-time all-star the 2019-20 steel champ. Great defense there. The 2019-2020 All-NBA team. Two-time All-Defensive team. 
2017-2018 All-Rookie and the 2017-2018 Rookie of the Year, folks. A great defender. That's what you only hear when you talk about Ben Simmons. We know he doesn't score the ball. We know he doesn't really do anything offensively, but he's got great defense. He can get some good rebounds. He's a decent passer out there. That's all you hear of Ben Simmons, but he cannot score the ball, and that's why Doc Rivers was, you know, at a loss of words. I don't know the answer to that right now if Ben Simmons can be the point guard on a championship team. So absolutely abysmal here from Ben Simmons. I mean, we see what he put up points-wise, folks. In, uh, in this playoff series against Atlanta, 17 game one in a loss, four, four in game two in a win. In a win, they won by 16 when he only scored four points, folks. What is that? Get that man off my team. Uh, he puts up 18 points in a 16-point win, game three. He puts up 11 points in a three-point loss in game four. Game five, he puts up eight points. Game six, he puts up six points. Game seven. Game seven, the man puts up five points. This man's supposed to be, you know, a big name, a superstar in this league, an all-star in this league, and he's putting up five points in a game seven, folks, on four shots. He's not even attempting to score the ball. Four shots in game seven, six shots in game five, four shots in game five, um, six shots in game six, four shots in game five, folks. So this man doesn't even look to score. He's so scared to shoot that it's hurting his team overall, folks. The man averaged 14 points a game this year. His career average is 15.9, folks. So he's even worse than usual scoring the ball this year. And I kind of want to quickly, let's count how many 20-plus points games he's had this year overall. So here we go. We got his entire kind of, uh, his entire year up here. So here we go. So far, none. So far, none. There, here we go. Game number 15 for him. 20 points. That's what we're talking about. Here we go. And then another one. 21 points at game number 19. Game number 23, he had 23 points. Game 25, he had 42 points. We're at four games above 20. Game 26, he had 28 points. Game 30, he had 24. We're at six. Game 36, he had 22. That's seven. And game 56, he had 20 points. That's eight. And then that's it. That's it. In 58 games that he played, he had eight games of 20 or more points. That's not a superstar. That's not a number one scoring option. That's not even a number two scoring option, folks. So Ben Simmons truly letting his team down all throughout this playoff series. And now comes the question, does the process officially come to a close here? Do you keep Joel Embiid? Do you keep Ben Simmons? Do you get rid of both of them? Do you keep one? So... We'll see, does Doc Rivers get axed? I mean, this man's done nothing, folks. He always gets bounced early on when playing with or when coaching players in his prime. He won a ring with the Celtics with uh, Kevin Garnett and uh, Paul Pierce. And was Rondo on that team? Ray Allen on that team? Either way, big names on that team. That's his kind of, I think, one, uh, one championship there. 
And then he went to coach DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin and Chris Paul, underwhelming every single year, never getting to a conference finals. Then he coaches the Clippers last season with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And once again, second round exit there. And then he goes to the 76ers with, you know, MVP Joel Embiid. Everyone was saying that he should have been the MVP. And he's got Ben Simmons and Seth Curry and Tobias Harris and Dwight Howard off the bench and Shake Milton off the bench and Danny Green, who's been on multiple. NBA championship teams and another second round exit not getting it done in game seven not bringing the energy not having the correct lineups in not using Ben Simmons to the perfect uh to the perfect tee yeah Ben Simmons was kind of playing the four but uh, it still wasn't working out so Doc Rivers does he go so a big mess here in Philadelphia Everyone is calling for Ben Simmons' head, and uh, I it's I wouldn't disagree with that. I would not disagree with that. If you cannot score, you cannot be on the floor, folks. We've been saying that all season, folks. Uh, P.J. Tucker barely escaped guarding Kevin uh, Durant in that series. He doesn't put up any points. Um, 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 Jay Crowder, I mean, he was on a championship-level team. He can hit the three. He's a four that can hit the three, folks. That's why he's able to be on a championship-level starting team, folks. You have to score points if you are on the starting five, and that's something Ben Simmons does not do, folks. So, we'll, uh, man, I don't even know what you do with that, man. Truly don't even know what you do with that, man. Um, all right. Those are all the stories that we needed to go over for today. So let's uh, head over to the NBA. We'll break down the games from last night and the game from Saturday night, Bucks nets Game 7. Then we'll kind of walk through the remaining uh, games, series of the playoffs, and then we'll head over to Aaron Rodgers. Does he deserve credit for his 2013 wildcard playoff loss? We'll see. All right, so here we go. First game to kind of go over is uh, the Bucks and the Nets. Didn't get to this one the other day, so let's break this one down. Here we go. Game 7, Bucks nets goes into overtime in the question that needs to be answered. What is clutch, folks? Because Kevin Durant hit the game-tying shot at the end of regulation and then had the game-tying, potentially game-winning shot in overtime and missed it big bad. So what is clutch? Can we call Kevin Durant clutch for his Game 7 performance? I don't know the answer to this, folks. I truly don't. So here we go. Let's play the tape here. Nets down to 109-107 with six seconds left. Kevin Durant gets the inbound. P.J. Tucker's guarding him, and Kevin Durant goes to work, and he thought he was having a three-point attempt to turn around fadeaway jumper that cashes in, ties the game with one second left. That is ice-cold, cold-blooded, Mamba mentality right there. Kevin Durant, game-tying shots. Absolutely fantastic. Clutch as heck. That is clutch, folks. Game on the line. Win or go home. Game to, uh, to move on to the Eastern Conference Finals. And you got P.J. Tucker that's been biting you up all series long. And you hit a fadeaway, turnaround fadeaway jumper in his mouth at home. Down two with no extra shot remaining. There's a second left on the clock. There is no time to get the rebound and get another shot off, folks. It's do or die. Win or go home right on that shot. And he absolutely cashes out. Clutch. Clutch. But... Then we go into overtime. 
And nobody could buy a bucket at all here in overtime. Chris Middleton getting it done. He was clutch for the Bucks. He got it done in overtime. But now we're tasked with the same thing. Six seconds left. Kevin Durant with the ball. Down two. And man, oh man, this man is absolutely gassed. He tries to hit the same shot that he hit in the end of regulation. But he misses everything. Air ball. Air ball. And I know he's tired. Playing basically the entire game. I get it. But is he clutch now? He just wiped away that clutchness, folks. He wiped away. It doesn't even matter that he hit that regulation shot now because they lose in overtime because of Kevin Durant because he couldn't hit the turnaround fadeaway jumper the same shot that he hit in the end of regulation so this time Drew Holiday on Kevin Durant and he goes and shoots an air ball so do we call Kevin Durant clutch is he clutch is this a clutch performance? Take name away. Take name aside. Does a player that hits a clutch shot to tie it up at the end of a regulation but then has the same shot in overtime misses with an air ball, does that cancel each other out? Do we still call him clutch because he still hit a clutch shot? Do we call, still call it clutch because that, that player was tired as all heck? I have to say that's not clutch. I would have to say that's not clutch, folks. It was a big-time shot at the end of regulation. You tied it up. You didn't win the game on that shot. You have another opportunity to win the game in a bigger situation. This is even kind of a bigger situation now, right? Same situation, but now you have that pressure of hitting that shot before. You have that pressure of, um, you know, an extra five minutes of play, an extra kind of now it's do or die all on you again for a second time, and you come up short, big, small, an air ball, a big old air ball. So, unfortunately, I think we got to call Kevin Durant not clutch for a Saturday performance in Game 7. Now, I'm not saying that he's trash. We're not saying that, folks. Kevin Durant is still an elite talent in this league. Absolutely, hands down. He had a clutch shot over LeBron James in the finals, folks. So, you know, we're just talking about this series alone. Was Kevin Durant clutch in this game alone as well? And I would have to say no. I think that your final shot cancels out anything you've done previous in the game. You could have been shooting 0 of 20 for the entire game, and you get that shot in the fourth in the fourth quarter or overtime, whatever, to win the game, and you hit it. You're clutch, even though you put up two points on 20 shots. That's still clutch. You got it done when it mattered. Your team kept it close. The game was close. Whatever happened, whatever circumstances got it in the way of this game. At the end of the day. Two seconds left in the clock. The game, you're down one. You hit the big shot. That's clutch. And Kevin Durant, in overtime, not clutch there. Truly unfortunate. So the Bucks hold on. We called this one right. We said the Bucks win in seven, our early kind of uh, uh, when the playoffs started. That was our prediction, getting the Bucks to the finals, winning the finals as well. And now they just kind of beat their biggest test so far in the in the Nets, the star-studded Nets. And now they have to move on to the Hawks. And we'll talk about that series in a minute. But let's uh, keep going over this game. Let's close out this game quickly. So here we go, the Bucks on Saturday. Giannis, 40 points, 13 rebounds, 5 assists. He, he shot 2 of 6 from the 3 and 8 of 14 from the free throw line. Not great numbers, but I guess kind of solid, a little bit above average for what Giannis does overall. So Giannis did his, his thing, 40 points. We'll definitely give it to him. 
Uh, Brooke Lopez, 19 points. He had three of four from the three. Love that. Chris Middleton steps up big time. Uh, there was a lot of kind of unclutchness through both sides in this game in regulation and overtime, but Chris Middleton hitting a nice shot in overtime, giving him that big lead, and Chris Middleton deserving some credit last or on Saturday. So 23 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists, 5 steals. Like I said, he shot 2 of 7 from 3. He wasn't that clutch throughout the entire game, but when it came time to get it done, he did it, folks. So you got to give Chris Middleton a lot of credit. And then Drew Holiday. D-ing up Kevin Rand on that final play. Got to give him some credit as well. He put up 13 points, 8 assists, 7 rebounds. But once again, 2 of 9 from the 3 and 21% on 23 shots. Once again, Drew Holiday got it done at the end, folks. Bodied up Kevin Durant, made it difficult for him to hit that shot, forced an air ball. The tiredness of Kevin Durant, the good defense in the body of Drew Holiday, got to give him some credit. And then Pat Connaughton, once again, the only player off the bench playing any meaningful minutes, 23 minutes, 9 points, 4 rebounds, and uh, that's it. <laughs> 3 of 5 from the 3, that's what the man did. But, hey, gave us those extra 9 points, which absolutely were needed. So the Bucks were able to get it done. Fantastic. All right, now the Nets now. Kevin Durant playing 53 minutes once again, just absolutely overloading him. 48 points, 6 assists, 9 rebounds, 4 of 11 from 3. Hit the clutch shot in regulation. Missed the clutch shot in overtime. Unfortunate. Joe Harris did not do any favors for this Nets team. Talk about a flounder series, folks. Joe Harris let this team down big time. 10 points on 3 of 9 from 3. Almost unacceptable, truly. Blake Griffin, 17 points, 11 rebounds. He's been real solid all series. Maybe not the best in the last kind of game six and seven. But overall, Blake Griffin, I thought it was a pretty solid performance by him. And we'll see if he's kind of back next year for this Nets team. If they run it back, we'll see what happens there. Bruce Brown getting into the starting lineup, 14 points, six rebounds. He played 52 minutes. Um, 0 of 1 from the three, only took nine shots for the 40, 14 points. And then James Harden, who once again, I mean, that injury really kind of hurt the, hurt the team overall. And Steve Nash, maybe a little hard-headed. I know James Harden wants to be out there and maybe forced his, his, his kind of himself to be out there, to stay out there, even though he was injured. But, I mean, I, Steve Nash, you're the head coach. You have to take control of this team. And James Harden, 22 points, and he had nine assists and nine rebounds. The nine assists that were absolutely fantastic. The man was still Diamond the ball all over the floor, but the man was a liability offensively. Two of 12 from three, five of 17, 29% from the field, folks. I mean, yeah, he gave you 22 points, but Landry Shaman could do that. Mike James could potentially help out with that as well. So, a little disappointed in Steve Nash. I mean, at some point, you got to take James Harden out, especially in overtime. If James Harden, I would have taken, like, if you kind of got bailed out by Kevin Durant hitting the game-tying shot to force overtime, I would have said James Harden for the entire overtime period. I'm bringing in, um, like, Laundry Shamit or... Um, who do we say? Or Mike James. I, I'm not having that out there again. I'm not having a non-offensive player out there in overtime because that's what overtime is, folks. You're either absolutely shooting trash or you're shooting kind of exactly what got you into overtime at the end of the fourth quarter. So both teams were shooting absolute trash here. No two teams really keep shooting lights out in overtime, folks. It never, it rarely ever happens. So I would have gotten James Harden out of there. But, um, you know, Steve Nash, once again, he feels like he doesn't have to coach because you have superstars on top of superstars. But now when the injury bug comes, now you got to start coaching. And uh, Steve Nash didn't do the best job out there. So, 
Um, nobody scored off the bench here for the Nets. Barely anybody played off the bench here for the Nets. And I get it. It's a game seven, but you still have to have some rotations, folks, or you're going to lose like the Nets just did right here. So Steve Nash, man, truly unimpressed with his coaching, his coaching debut, his first season coaching. Not the best. So the Bucks survived by four in overtime, and they advanced to the Eastern Conference Finals. Love to see it. All righty, now let's go to the Clippers and the Suns now. And man, oh man, bingo, bango. We called Suns minus three and a half. They win by six. An absolutely great performance by Devin Booker, who is clutch as all clutch and consistent as all consistent. Now, Chris Paul was still out for the Clip or for the Suns, and Kawhi Leonard was still out for this uh, Clippers team. But we had big confidence in Cameron Payne to get it done, and he really did, folks. Starting point guard for the Suns, Cameron Payne, we believe in him. If you remember... In the first series against the Lakers when Chris Paul's injury uh, first came up about that shoulder, we wanted um, the head coach, I'm blanking on his name, but uh, we wanted the Suns head coach to stop playing Chris Paul and put Cameron Payne in the starting lineup just for one game to give Chris Paul some extra rest to heal up that shoulder. Now, that never happened, but we're, we got kind of vindicated and proven right that Ka Cameron Payne can get it done. He can get it done being the starting point guard if Chris Paul's not there, and that's exactly what happened last night. So we're big on Cameron Payne, and he absolutely worked to perfection. He played 29 minutes, 11 points, and 9 assists, folks. Fantastic. He shot 104 from 3, not the greatest, but those 9 assists with those double-digit points, we'll take that all day long. And he was a plus 13 in those 29 minutes. So once again, just getting it done when he's on the floor, absolutely great execution by him. So we love Cameron Payne absolutely a lot. And uh, we'll see. Uh, Chris Paul is probably not going to be able to go tomorrow. Where I forgot what was the actual 14 days out from the official diagnosis of him having COVID, unfortunately. So uh, we'll see if Chris Paul is going to be back at any time in the series. If he is not back, we still feel decently solid having Cameron Payne run the entire series here to get them to the finals. All right, Devin Booker was on his bullshit all game. Big shot after big shot, tying up the game when they were down, extending their lead when it was a small lead. And Devin, Devin Booker going absolutely manic. So 40 points, 11 assists, 13 rebounds. That's a triple-double, folks. 3 of 7 from 3, 51% on 29 shots, but a plus 6 and a 6-point win. Devin Booker truly getting it done. DeAndre Ayton down low, 20 points, 9 rebounds. Non-factor really for anybody to kind of, you know, Body him up down low for that Clippers team. Jay Crowder, 13 points, 6 rebounds. He shot 3 of 7 from the 3. Still hitting that 3 at a nice clip. That's what we need to extend the floor. And then McCall Bridges still at the 3. 14 points, 2 assists on 2 of 6 from the 3. Now we had Cameron Johnson also playing 24 minutes off the bench because Cameron Payne got into a little bit of foul trouble. And Cameron Johnson goes 12 points and 4 rebounds. Once again, exactly what you need. Great production off the bench. And let's not forget little old Torrey Craig out there in 14 minutes. He was a plus 18 on the floor and put up 8 points and 6 rebounds. This is what's going to get it done here for the Suns team. The deep bench here especially with Chris Paul out we're getting great performances out here so well done by the starters Devin Booker Cameron Payne Jay Crowder DeAndre and in the bench absolutely getting it done with Cameron Johnson and Torrey Craig truly getting it done so we're big on the Suns team or we're going to kind of preview this matchup as a whole in a little bit but uh, we're feeling real great on the Suns team overall all right and then the Clippers from last night I mean 
a decent performance by their two guys, but once again, their kind of lack of good scores on this team, consistent scores that can go out and get you kind of 15 to 20 on their own is going to come and kind of haunt this Clippers team. Now, they still kept it close, so we can respect that. But uh, Reggie Jackson, 24 points. We love this man. He puts up the points. We've got no problem with Reggie Jackson. 24 points and a plus four on the floor. Paul George, 34 points, five assists, four rebounds. He shot seven of 15 from the three. 38% on 28, 26 shots. Could have been a little bit better out there, but still gave us those 34 points. That's what this Clippers team needs. Nicholas Patum at the five, five points and 10 rebounds. Marcus Morris at the four, man. He's got to be better than this. He has to start hitting those threes, and that's kind of why we're not big on this Clippers team is because they're, they're, they're very hit and miss with their kind of role players to put up these points. Marcus Morris, six points on 27% shooting, folks. 0 of 5 from the three. That's not going to get it done. And then Terrence Mann, who has been absolutely fantastic uh, this playoffs, but uh, nine points on – he hit three of three from three. That was great. He shot great, but only took four shots for those nine points. So, once again, a little lackluster, a little light overall by everybody that needs to score. Off the bench, what did we get? DeMarcus Cousins put up 11 points on 40% shooting. Luke Kennard put up six points on three shots. Rondo put up eight points on five shots. So overall, as a team, they went deep off their bench. It was able to get some good production scoring all together off the bench. But when we need just kind of solid players to put up points, like we said, we kind of need, you know, three superstars that can go out and get you kind of, you know, 20 plus a night. And I don't think the Clippers truly have that. So Terrence Mann really just kind of fuels off of momentum. If he gets out to a hot start, he, he can keep riding it. But if he gets down bad, there's really no coming back for him on that. So we'll see how this Clippers team kind of resurges here coming up in game two tomorrow. But uh, Suns take game one, 121-14. Alrighty, and then the last game of last night, the Hawks and the 76ers, Game 7 to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals, and the Hawks take care of business, folks. Absolutely well done. What I want to bring up before we get into the stats is uh, this highlight, folks. This one highlight truly kind of encapsulates exactly what is wrong with Ben Simmons, unfortunately. So... Let's set the scene here. Three minutes and 35 seconds left in the game. Hawks up to 88 to 86. Ben Simmons has the ball. It's an ISO. He's working against, uh, I think this is Daniil Gallinari down there. So he's kind of backing down Daniil Gallinari. He has a spin move. Daniil Gallinari goes in for the reach. Ben Simmons spins off the reach, and he has a wide-open dunk now. He has a wide-open dunk. Trey Young is going to come over, but it's Ben Simmons versus Trey Young. Ben Simmons, if you don't get your ass in the air and slam that ball down, what are we doing? But what does he do? He is wide-open under the basket, folks. He passes the ball to Tyrese Maxey. And then John Collins comes over and fouls Tyrese Maxey as he's shooting. Then Tyrese Maxey goes to the line and splits his free throws to tie up the game, to potentially tie up the game, hitting both. He missed one. So now the Hawks have all that momentum. They're still up by one. And that's basically the turning point of this game. Ben Simmons not being aggressive. Why? Why will you just not be aggressive? Because people will clown you if you miss shots. People are going to clown you even harder for not attempting those shots, especially these easy shots. That's a guaranteed dunk or at least 
least a guaranteed kind of quick layup off the glass, and you can't touch the ball after it bounces off the glass, so it's going to be points regardless, whether it's a goaltend or whether it's a uh, uh, whether it goes in. It's points regardless, and you gave up a point right there overall in totality with the one missed free throw. So Ben Simmons being absolutely trash last night, folks, not being aggressive to try and score the ball, relying on everybody else to score the ball, and you think you can just get away by playing decent defense? Well, you lost game seven at home, so that proves it doesn't work. So, truly flounder job by Ben Simmons, but uh, that is to be expected. All right, let's talk about this Hawks team now. Trey Young, I mean, geez Louise. Trey Young was on his bullshit game six, but the supporting cast wasn't. And then in game seven, Trey Young was absolutely abysmal, but the supporting cast was on their bullshit. So, they're going to have to all be on the same page here if they want to have to go against this Bucks team because the Bucks just kind of, you know, outdid the Nets team that have great kind of scoring throughout. And the Hawks have been a little kind of up and down in their kind of overall scoring. So the Hawks are going to have to get it together, folks. And Trey Young kind of got bailed out because he did not have a great performance last night. But let's talk about this Hawks team. Trey Young, 21 points. He had 10 assists. We love all of that. But. 2 of 11 from 3, half of his points coming from the free throw line, and he shot 21% on 23 shots. Absolutely not great. Bogdan Bogdanovich once again getting bailed out as well. Four points on 0-4 from three and 25% shooting on eight shots. Once again, Bogdan Bogdanovich, he's got to get it going again, folks. He's been absolutely kind of trash this entire second series here. Clint Capella down low, 13.6 rebounds. John Collins, 14 points, 16 rebounds, getting it done, truly. And then Kevin Herter, the savior of the Hawks last night, 27 points, 7 rebounds. He led the team in scoring, 2 of 4 from the 3, and he shot 55% on 18 shots from the field. But just truly getting it done was Kevin Herter. Big-time shot after big-time shot, scoring in the fourth quarter. It didn't matter. Kevin Herter truly deserves a lot of credit for the Hawks' win last night. And then off the bench, we got Daniil Gallinari. Another reason why this team won the game. 17 points off the bench on 3 of 7 from the 3. 46% shooting from the field. Truly getting it done as well. So, Trey Young and Bogdan Bogdanovich, y'all better come with your bullshit against this Bucks team because you're definitely going to have to have that great outside shooting to beat the Bucks. So, the Hawks escape a little bit um, because the 76ers were even worse. Were even worse. Uh, so let's start here with Ben Simmons. I mean, he only took four shots, folks. Five points on four shots. He had 13 assists and eight rebounds. That's all good. But at the end of the day, he wasn't putting up points. And that's where the 76ers kind of came up a little short. They only put up 96 points. That's not enough to get it done, folks, especially in a game seven. You have to just be on your bullshit to score the ball. And it was just kind of a drastic comparison between that Bucks nets game seven and the 76ers-Hawks game seven. There was just so much more urgency in that Bucks game seven. The stars were out to play. Kevin Durant was on his bullshit, 40-plus points. Giannis was on his bullshit, 40-plus points. And we didn't really get that here in this game seven. The stars didn't really show up, especially Ben Simmons. Simmons truly. The 76ers um, really kind of owe everything that has gone on this series to Seth Curry. Absolutely, he's been fantastic these last three games, games five, six, and seven. He's been fantastic. Unfortunately, still come up a little short in this game, but Seth Curry last night, 16 points, and he shot three of five from three, 60% from the field. We'll take that. Two rebounds, two assists to go along with all that. Joel Embiid, 31 points, 11 rebounds, 50. 
52% from the field, 2 of 5 from the 3. Once again, pretty solid, but he had 8 turnovers, unfortunately. Um, just kind of, once again, him passing the ball to these absolutely garbage scorers on their team. So, uh, Joel Embiid, we didn't really see Joel fatigue last night. Not true in the true sense of it, but uh, maybe you can attribute that to uh, 8 turnovers as well. Tobias Harris and Joel Embiid should have just took it upon him. Be on your Kevin Durant. Be on your Giannis. Go for 40-plus. And that's kind of why we were a little upset with Joel Embiid. Like, Ben Simmons is refusing to shoot. Go out and just put your head down and keep going to the basket over and over and over and over again. But uh, we didn't really get that for Joel Embiid last night. Tobias Harris, once again, not the greatest shooting night. He put up 24 points, which we can definitely respect, but 2 of 7 from the 3, 33% shooting at 24 shots. That's not great at all. He had 14 rebounds, which is solid, but still, once again, we needed somebody to put up points here, and they just didn't have it. And then we got Furkin Korkmaz at the three to fill in for Danny Green, who was still injured. Five points on five shots. Six shots, one of five from the three. So nothing great there by uh, Korkmaz either. And then we got nothing great off the bench. Tyrese Maxey, only two points on two shots. Missed them both, only got to the line. Dwight Howard, zero points and three rebounds in seven minutes. That's real lackluster of kind of what he does. George Hill, three points on three shots. And then Matisse Dybul, eight points on five shots, one of two from the line. So, And then Shake Milton only playing five points. Once again, Doc Rivers, what the heck is that, man? Truly, get your scores in there. Shake Milton can score the ball. Get that man going. But he didn't, only playing five minutes. Real lackluster last night, so... Ben Simmons, man, something's going to have to happen with this team. You have to have a true point guard. Get rid of Ben Simmons. Have Seth Curry run the offense here. Move Seth Curry to the one, folks. Get Ben Simmons out of this game. You cannot have him. And I don't understand. When Danny Green went down, you move Tobias to the three. You move Ben Simmons to the four. You move Shake Milton to the two and let Seth Curry be the one. That would have been my starting five. Seth Curry, Shake Milton. Those are my guards. My uh, forwards, I've got Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons and then Joel Embiid down low. So I didn't even like the matchup here. You cannot have Ben Simmons running the point. That is nothing, folks. Truly. Jeez. So a big old flounder here by the 76ers in this series. Truly not great. So... Hawks, well done from last night. Love seeing the Hawks here. Love what Trey Young can do. And the outside scoreability of the Hawks, is it going to be able to give the Bucks some trouble? We'll see that. It's going to be a great seven-game series. So let's uh, head here. Now we are all official of the Eastern and Conference Finals here. Let's walk through the remainder of the playoffs here and kind of talk it through and see how we think the finals are going to play out. So here we go. Let's start here in the Western Conference. Clippers, Suns. Well, we already got a little preview of this game. Saw game one and the Phoenix Suns win it. And I kind of loved everything I saw from that game. The Clippers kept it close because their shooting was kind of great up until that fourth quarter. Late in the fourth quarter, kind of, you know, floundered a little bit. But uh, we love this Suns team, and yeah, maybe no Chris Paul, but we love what Cameron Johnson can do, folks. He can truly facilitate the floor, and he can kind of do exactly what Chris Paul does, kind of. Um, the only reason why he only played light minutes last night was because um, he he got into foul trouble. Five, five, uh, five, uh, five fouls pretty early on in the game. So we still believe the Suns team can definitely beat this Clippers team. The Clippers need Kawhi Leonard more than the Suns need Chris Paul. And it doesn't seem like any of those players are coming back anytime soon for this series. So I'm going to take the Suns in six here. I think this is going to be kind of a short series. The Clippers were kind of 
decently firing last night. They just kind of needed like Marcus Morris to step it up a little bit or maybe Terrence Mann to step it up a little bit more. But um, I can see this Clippers team continuing on being this good. Now, they've been great in their kind of last two games of that Jazz series, and they've been really solid in the Sun series, but it's still coming up just a little bit short, short against this Suns team. So the Suns are very deep. Cameron Johnson got into it. Um, Dario Sarek is still a threat out there. So I'm going to take the Suns. I really love what the Suns team can do. Um, we definitely believe in Devin Booker. I mean, this man's probably... Is he the best player left in the playoffs, folks? Can we count Giannis? Giannis, Devin Booker? Do you put Paul George in that category? I don't know. I don't think so. But I, I would definitely say Devin Booker is probably the best player left in this playoff series. So that's what that's what's so decent about Chris Paul still not being good to go for the Suns team is that Chris Paul isn't their primary scorer. He's not their number one scoring option. Is he their number two? Maybe. He's kind of their number three. He's just a floor facilitator out there. But that's what Cameron Payne can do, folks. He can facilitate the floor while still putting up those points. Maybe at a little bit of a better clip than Chris Paul a little bit out there. So, DeAndre Ayton down low. I mean, there's nobody to really challenge him. Jay Crowder, I mean, once again, he's got great defense for whoever the Clippers have down low, whatever kind of they go, whatever Ty Lue goes with with their starting lineup. So, the Clippers aren't going to be able to get easy kind of down low points. They're going to have to rely on Paul George and Reggie Jackson just to kind of be great scores, and they have been. Like I said, these last three games have been absolutely magnificent. Game 5 against the Jazz in game six against the Jazz Paul George and Reggie Jackson have been fantastic and in game one against this Suns series they've also been very good but it's still coming just up a little short here against this Suns team so they're gonna have to rely on you know um, Terrence Mann and Luke Kennard and uh, Marcus Morris and they're not the most reliable Terrence Mann is pretty solid but we just saw him only take four shots last night not the greatest so I'm going to take the Suns in six here. I think they can truly get it done, and the Suns are going to advance to the finals. All right, now we get the Eastern Conference. We don't have a kind of, you know, preview, a little bit of an insight here on this series. We just get Hawks and the Bucks, and the Bucks just kind of face the Brooklyn Nets, and the Brooklyn Nets are kind of the closest thing the Bucks can get to kind of seeing what the Hawks are going to do. And the Hawks just kind of had their best kind of true look at what the Bucks are going to do with the 76ers because you've got uh, like the Nets and the Hawks, they've got great outside shooting. And with the Bucks and the 76ers, they've kind of got decent outside shooting with the great beef down low. And the Hawks beat that series, kind of their kind of same thing that the Bucks are. And the Bucks beat kind of the same thing that the Hawks are. So it's really going to be real interesting to see. They both win seven games. They both won game seven on the road. It's like... Man, oh man, this series, we just kind of saw it in the second round. So this one's going to be absolutely great to watch. This one probably goes seven. Um, what the Hawks need to do, I mean, they just need all their scores on, man. Trey Young just let us down in game seven. Bogdanovich has been letting us down this entire series, which is definitely going to kind of be a plus for the Bucks. And then for the Bucks, I mean, Clint Capella... He was kind of, you know, he was kind of getting beat. When we look at what Clint Capella did, and I was kind of actually surprised when I kind of had to take a double look at this, but Clint Capella was a minus on the floor of every single one of those playoff games against the 76ers. Game 1, minus 4. Game 2, minus 25. Game 3, minus 12. Game 4, minus 5. Game 
five minus eight game six minus one and even game seven that they won minus two folks so that's not the greatest thing here about Clint Capella now he still is a great rebounding big and a great scoring big so that's what he really brings to this Hawks team but overall he's a negative on the floor folks that's not great and that's against Joel Embiid and it's not going to get any easier with having kind of Giannis and Brooke Lopez down low so this is going to be real tough to call, but I'm going to go Bucks in seven. I think just kind of the beef is going to overwhelm this Hawks team. We saw the Hawks be real great against that Knicks series because the pressure wasn't really on the Hawks. They were still kind of favorites to win that series, even though they were the lower seed, the fifth seed there. Then when they got to the 76ers, they were still playing really good, but you know, the pressure, they're the one seed, they're expected to lose, and it went seven games, and the outside scores were really kind of just awful all together and now they're to the finals this is a very young team and Bogdanovich hasn't been scoring well and Trey Young just floundered in a game seven the biggest game of his career and he still flounders and I don't want to diss Trey Young at all he's probably one of my favorite young players in the league but he kind of got bailed out, truly bailed out. And now this Bucks team, I mean, this is the only thing that they were worried about in this playoffs. If they had, you know, they were never worried about the Heat, swept them 4-0. They, they would have never been worried about the Knicks if they got here to the finals, Eastern Conference Finals. They would have never been worried about the Wizards if they got to the Eastern Conference Finals. They maybe been a little bit, a little bit worried about, uh, against the 76ers if they made it. And then the Hawks are like, oh, this is kind of the best outcome, honestly, out of kind of what we could have gotten. We could have gotten the 76ers. That's kind of what we were kind of planning on. And now we don't have to face that great beef down low with Joel Embiid. All right, now we're kind of great. And then they got all that momentum of beating the Nets, the star-studded Nets who everybody had winning the finals in this and that. So... I'm going to go the Bucks in seven here. Giannis has to keep get it, getting it done. And, you know, the length of, you know, Kevin Durant down low and the, the uh, Blake Griffin playing great. And that's kind of giving me a little hesitant. I'm taking the Bucks as well because Blake Griffin was locking up uh, Giannis a little bit. And now if you put Clint Capella on him, how is he going to look? Uh, so... This is going to be a real great series here. Bucks are going to have the home court advantage, and the Hawks are going to have to rely on their outside shooting. And I don't know if they can. I don't know if they're going to be able to get it done in this seven-game series. So I'm going to take the Bucks in seven over the Hawks here and have the Bucks and the Suns go to the finals. And then I think, I mean, I want to see this Bucks team win. That's our early prediction. So I guess I don't want to flounder or just kind of waver too much off of that. But, I mean, this Suns team, I mean, they're the perfect kryptonite to handle this Bucks team. You got DeAndre Ayton and um, Jay Crowder down low. I mean, that's going to lock up Giannis 100%, folks, 100%. Jokic just won MVP as a big, and he got locked up by uh, DeAndre Ayton and Jay Crowder. And Jay Crowder's great, a uh, great four in this league. And then you've got the outside shooting of... Cameron Payne and um, what's the uh, McCall Bridges and Jay Crowder's even got the outside shooting as well. So I think the Bucks. I don't want to. They're my they're my early prediction and they're still in it, man. And we had we had the upset of Bucks over Nets in that original prediction. So I don't want to stray too far away from that. But the way the Suns are playing, folks, are is absolutely fantastic. And if they have Chris Paul back for that series against the Bucks. It's going to be real freaking tight. It's going to be real tight. So, Bucks Suns in the finals. I'm going to have the Bucks winning in seven, but it's going to be gosh darn close, folks.
So we're going to have the Suns beating the Clippers in six. We've got the Bucks beating the Hawks in seven. And then the Bucks beating the Suns in seven as well. All righty. Um, let's uh, end the show here with uh, Aaron Rodgers, folks. we got another playoff game deciding his credit. He's got this big ego, this big personality. He is never wrong. He is always right. If he loses, it's never his fault. He plays a million percent well every single game, according to him. And, uh, you know, whenever he loses, it's everybody's fault but him. So, that's what we've been doing here the past couple of days here on the show, seeing what credit Aaron Rodgers deserves for these wins and losses here in the playoffs. So, we're up to the 2013 wildcard game. They just lost in 2012 in the divisional round against the 49ers with Colin Kaepernick last season. And now it's a little bit of a rematch, this time in Green Bay. Last time they were at San Francisco. Now they're at home and they still lose this game. You still lose. So... We got the 2013 wildcard game, Packers versus the 49ers. We've got the tape. We've got the stats. So let's just get right into it. We know the Packers lose by three, folks, 23 to 20. We'll see how the final drives play out. Did you know Aaron Rodgers have a chance to win it and comes up short like he kind of did in the NFC Championship game last year against Tom Brady? Let's see. So. Let's start here with Aaron Rodgers stats. 17 of 26 for 177 yards, one touchdown, no pick. Not the greatest. All right, now we're starting to get into the uh, Eddie Lacy years of the Green Bay Packers. So a solid running back there. He rushed for 81 yards. Anybody fumble here? Aaron Rodgers fumbled but didn't lose it. Same thing with John Kuhn. He fumbled and didn't lose it as well. All right, now let's look at uh, what Colin Kaepernick was doing in this game. Did Aaron Rodgers just simply get outplayed by Colin Kaepernick? Let's see. So Colin Kaepernick went uh, 16 of 30 for 227 yards, one touchdown. He threw a pick. Uh, he didn't fumble, though, so still a turnover. Where Aaron Rodgers did not have a turnover, but he didn't put up those yards, though. Uh, Colin Kaepernick put up 50 more yards-ish. So, alrighty, not a, not too much of an outplay, but a little bit of an outplay over there by Colin Kaepernick. I mean, he ended up winning. So let's go into these drive charts now to kind of see what film we got to look at. So let's start with, um, I mean, look at this, folks. Look at this. Three straight three and outs by this Packers team to start the game when uh, the, the 49ers are getting field goals after field goals. So let's start here with the first couple of drives. Let's see what we get here. Aaron Rodgers throwing bad balls, or is it just the, uh, the receivers not able to catch it? Because we've seen both. All right, we got to refresh this because some reason the drive charts were not opening up, and that would not be great. That truly would not be great if that's going to happen. That one doesn't open. This one doesn't open. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. This is what happens when you kind of go too far back in uh, NFL.com, and they don't really everything work. We don't only get the Packer stats here. We can't even see the 49er stats, and then we can't even open up the drive charts. That's truly unfortunate. But let's see what we get here. We'll do the best that we can. Here we go. First quarter, first three plays here for the Packers. They go three and out. Let's see why. Let's get this video queued up. And this is not playing. Are we? Oh, here we go. All righty. Grainy footage. Holy moly. What is going on here? All righty. Well, first down, Eddie Lacy takes the carry. Um, is this big Eddie Lacy? <laughs> big, big Eddie Lacy. Uh, the Eddie Lacy weight drama. <laughs> All right, so first 
play. They run for a yard. Okay. I see what happens now. Second and nine. First drive of the game. I see what Aaron Rodgers does here on second and nine. They're going to hand the ball off again. Eddie Lacy powers forward. A great rush there. Picks up about six or seven. Third and three now officially, and they run it again, and they come up just short. So Aaron Rodgers not throwing any passes here. Eddie Lacy even fumbled here. Jeez. Didn't lose it, though. So Aaron Rodgers, I mean, he it was three straight running plays, so he won't, uh, won't uh, give him any credit or knock off any credit for him. But uh, the 49ers go down and score a field goal. All righty, defense is not being that great by the Packers, and the defense has been kind of carrying the Packers in most of their playoff wins. But let's go to the Packers' second drive, where they also went three and out, this time starting at their own 26-yard line, heading back to the ground game here. Goes for about two yards. Here we go. Who got injured here? Neil, Sam Shields, man, that's tough. That He's their best defensive player, so of course they're going to lose defensively now. Sam Shields out. Aaron Rodgers can't rely on his defense anymore. All right, here we go. Second and nine, Aaron Rodgers, play action pass, and he's going to go down for a sack, holding on for the ball for too long. Now we get third and what? Third and 11. Here we go. Aaron Rodgers, empty backfield. Oh, false start. False start. Back him up even more. Aaron Rodgers trying to catch the defense off, defense off guard. He ends up shooting himself in the foot. Now we get third and 16 by Aaron Rodgers. Got to get this going. Here we go. Escapes out of the pocket. Check down route. That is incomplete. Let's see if it was Aaron Rodgers' fault or the receiver's fault out here. <coughs> Jordy Nelson was pretty open. On a little bit of a rewatch, unfortunately, did not go to him. Alrighty, so two straight three and outs. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, not his fault totally, but he's not making it any easier for him, which, you know, in his mind, he should be, right? So let's go to the third drive. Now they're down 6 nothing. Luckily, the defense is bending and not breaking, keeping Aaron Rodgers, you know, three and out. Mr. Rodgers out here. Uh, keeping him alive, but here we go. There he goes. Aaron Rodgers fumbles the football. Luckily, the offensive lineman was able to jump on the ball, but it's going to count as a sack. Aaron Rodgers, once again, holding on to the ball too long, not protecting the ball, and a potential for a turnover here. Luckily, again, Aaron Rodgers, Mr. Bailout in all these playoff games. There's something that happens that bails him out in all the wins. Gets bailed out here with a fumble recovery. All right, now we get second and 15. From their own 19-yard line. Drops back to pass. It's a setup screen, and he can't even complete the screen, folks. A, a running back screen can't even get it complete there. So now we're looking at third and 15. What a flounder job here so far by Mr. Rogers, Mr. Greatness, Mr. Great God Complex. And then they just hand off the ball on third and 15, just kind of, you know, acknowledging that they're going to lose. <laughs> Alrighty, but wow, what what a surprise here. The defense bails out the Packers. Here we go. The 49ers throw an interception, and then the Packers are able to kind of take advantage of that momentum and go down and score a field or a touchdown. So let's watch that touchdown drive to see if Aaron Rodgers deserves any credit for this. Alright, so starting on their own 30-yard line, they didn't get great field position off of the turnover. 
but they still have some momentum at home off the turnover. Crowds rocking and roaring. Sudden change of possession as well. Always helps. So they run the ball on first down, run the ball on second down. Now we got third and six. Aaron Rodgers, let's see what he does here. Trying to draw the defense off guard again. Doesn't work. All right, dropping back the pass. Once again, check down over the middle for the first down. Nothing too great there. All righty, first and 10, new set of downs here. Just a quick pass there. Nice little out route on the side of the right side of the field. Goes for about eight yards. They run the ball for the two yards for the first down. Now over midfield. Aaron Rodgers back to pass. And a comeback route here by Jordy Nelson for about five yards. Seven yards officially. Even better. All right, they go back to the running game. <coughs> Eddie Lacy picking up the first down. That's a lot of beef at the running back position. Of course, he's going to be able to bulldoze his uh, way ahead for two, three yards for the first. Here we go. First and 10. Another check down here by Aaron Rodgers. That goes for about seven yards. Nothing great by him on this drive. And then they, once again, go back to the running game. He picks up the first down on second and two. Eddie Lacy. All right, now are they officially in the red zone? What do we got? From the 21-yard line of the 49ers, Aaron Rodgers drops back to pass. There we go. That's a solid route here. Nice little slant route over Jordy Nelson for about uh, seven yards. Now officially in the red zone. Second and two, eight yards officially on the pickup. Alrighty, a nice pitch to Eddie Lacy, who picks down the picks up the first down. Easy peasy. All right, first and goal from the nine. Aaron Rodgers. Oof, <coughs> that's a tough one to uh, James Jones over there on the back corner of the end zone. The ball looked to really get there kind of cleanly. This was pretty solid of where he had to place the ball. Unfortunately, just couldn't. Uh, possibly a pass interference as well. I think I now could have been called there. But overall, that was a good throw by Aaron Rodgers there in the end zone. We'll give him credit for that one. But then they go back to the run game here. Eddie Lacy gets about four or five yards. Now it's third and goal from the five-yard line, folks. Let's see what he does. Running out to the right, directing traffic. There we go. Jordy Nelson, all reliable in the end zone. Great job by Aaron Rodgers on that throw. Great job escaping out of the pocket, directing traffic. And uh, that's a touchdown by the Packers there to take the one-point lead. All righty, the 49ers go down and score a touchdown of their own, making it 13-7. to uh, 13 to 7. Packers score a touch or a field goal right before the end of the first half. So let's see how they scored that point. And let's see why the drive stalled. Why did they have to settle for a field goal? Was it Aaron Rodgers not getting it done? Was it the receivers? So here we go. Uh, two minutes, 42 seconds on this drive. They start the drive with Eddie Lacy running the ball. Picks up about three or four. Three officially, second and seven. Aaron Rodgers, play action pass. Crowded pocket. He is going to take off for it and pick up the first down and slides down. 
All right, here we go. Aaron Rodgers gets a free play, draws him off sides. He's going to go over the middle, and it's a pick. Really bad throw here, but it, it was a free throw, so we're not going to knock him too much on it. He got him off sides himself. That was good. All right, now Aaron Rodgers firing over the middle of the field to Jordy Nelson for about 20 yards, and it's good. Now up-tempo offense here, trying to do something before the end of the first half. He dumps it off to Eddie Lacy. little check down to Eddie Lacy. They take a timeout. Second and eight from the 38-yard line of the 49ers. Dropping back to pass. Pump fake. Escaping out of the pocket. And is able to find a receiver down the field for about 10 to 15 yards. Let's keep moving along here to the next play. All right, here we go. From the 49ers, 20-yard line, a minute left. One timeout, first and 10. Aaron Rodgers over the middle of the field for about five yards. Next play, getting up to the line quickly. Nice little kind of out route there to Jordy Nelson. Who's down? What's this flag? Oof, unfortunate. Holding offense. So this play doesn't count. Backs him up even more. All right, 27 seconds left. One timeout still remaining. Now it's second and 14. Rodgers dropping back to pass. There it is, James Jones on the sideline, but he didn't get uh, out of bounds, so they're going to have to hurry up. They hurry up to the line. They try to get a playoff. He dumps it down to the check down, and it's incomplete. And now, I mean, just all these check downs, these dump offs, I mean, you're trying to, you know, hit a touchdown, not settle for a field goal, but Aaron Rodgers not really pushing the pace down the field too much, not taking any risks if they were open. So they get the field goal. It's uh, now, what do we got? 13-10 going into halftime. Out of halftime, Aaron Rodgers, three and out, five and out. Then they go on a 12-yard, 12-play 12 touchdown drive. Let's see what these three and outs and five and outs are really quickly. Unfortunately, we can't preview them. How unfortunate. That's truly uh, not the greatest here. But let's just read it here from here. All right, the three and out, what do we got? Aaron Rodgers, pass short to the left. For four yards. Here we go. We'll watch it here. We'll watch this drive. Here we go. Just dumps it off to Eddie Lacy. Once again, short. Taking the check down. And we get second and seven. A toss to Eddie Lacy that goes for like a loss of one or two. Now we get third and eight. Aaron Rodgers. You got to pick this up. You're at great field position right at your 45-yard line. Aaron Rodgers drops back to pass. Going deep. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. A drop by James Jones, man. Aaron Rodgers throwing an absolute beautiful of a ball right there. Jeez. Jeez. That's a great ball. That was it. That was it. He just... Uh, he literally just misses the catch. How Wow, it hits him right in the hand. So, all right, we'll give Aaron Rodgers some credit for that throw right there. Now we got to check out this uh, five-and-out drive on their very next possession. 
See what happened here. Did the receivers just drop it like they just did here? Let's see. All right, so they're still down three. First down is a handoff. Second and four now. Hand it off again. Picks up the first. All right, the play action pass here. Aaron Rodgers. Ooh, taking the sack. It takes the sack. Unfortunate. Now we got second and 18 now. Yikes. They play action again. Aaron Rodgers getting sacked again. Jeez. Jeez. This defense is swallowing him up. It's third and 22. Aaron Rodgers drops back to pass. Throws it deep. 50-50 ball. A tad overthrown for Jordy Nelson to go and get. Unfortunate. All righty. Then they go on a touchdown drive. We'll finish off here. Oh, hang on. Hang on. Wow. Okay. Yeah. We'll watch this. Uh, let's uh, watch this touchdown drive. But then, the forty-nine, the the Green Bay Packers have a chance there. Something stalls. So let's watch this stall drive. We'll give Aaron Rodgers credit for the touchdown. Let's. We'll read out the plays. We won't watch it, but uh, we'll read out these plays. I'm more interested to see why they stalled and had to go for a field goal. But here we go. All right, so we got uh, on the touchdown drive by Aaron Rodgers. We got Eddie Lacy up the middle for 28 yards. Wow. Or eight yards. I apologize. Uh, then they go another Eddie Lacy run for eight yards. They go Eddie Lacy to the uh, another run for seven yards. They go Eddie Lacy another one for three yards. Now Aaron Rodgers is back, throwing it short to Jordy Nelson for six yards. Second down, we got uh, James Starks up the middle for 10 yards. Continuing on the drive here, we got Aaron Rodgers passing complete. We got James Starks run for six yards. Now we're at third and four. And James Starks another run for two yards, bringing up fourth and two. Oh, we got to watch this. Fourth and two, and Aaron Rodgers going for it here. Down three at the 49ers 28-yard line. It's fourth and two, and they decide to go for it. And Aaron Rodgers almost getting sacked. Almost getting sacked. Able to escape out of the pocket, and there it is. Rifling it down to Randall Cobb to the five-yard line. That's what but we're talking about Aaron. Great job. All right, let's watch the end of this touchdown drive. Let's see how they get it. Now at the four-yard line, first and goal. They give it to Eddie Lacy. Who gets down to the one. Second and goal from the one. Let's see how they get in the goal here. No wide receivers. They're just going to power this one through. Handle it, hand it to the fullback, and that's the touchdown. And now they take a 17-14 lead. But let's watch this very last drive here by the Packers. Because it's going to be a one-possession game. But they have to settle for a field goal. So they're now down three, 20-17. All right, first play is an Eddie Lacy run. Why wouldn't they? He's been fantastic all game. Then they go to a pass to Jordy Nelson, who picks up about 10 there. At their own 45-yard line now. Play.
Play action pass. Aaron Rodgers dumps it off. Daddy Lacey and Eddie Lacey couldn't even catch the ball. Jeez Louise. Man, he would have picked up at least a first down if he caught that. It was a good throw by Aaron Rodgers, too. All right. All right, second and 10. A little bit of a draw to Eddie Lacy, who goes for about five. Third and five at the 50. Yes, Aaron Rodgers flips it to the fullback for the first down. We'll take that all day. Keeps the change, chains moving. Now we got another Eddie Lacy run. That goes for about seven or eight. Eight yards officially. Second and two. Aaron Rodgers going deep down inside the red zone. Now inside the 10 to Randall Cobb. Woof. Look at this throw. Jeez, great throw there. Great ball. But now they're inside the 10. Why do they have to settle for a field goal? Let's see what happens. Can Aaron Rodgers get it done in the red zone? This would be huge. They could go up 24 to 20. They would force the 49ers to get a touchdown to win the game. Not just, you know, a field goal to win the game like they did. Here we go. Aaron Rodgers. First and goal from the nine-yard line. This is where the game rests on. Let's see what happens. Aaron Rodgers. Hands off the ball. First down. That picks up nothing. Alrighty, empty backfield on second and goal from the nine. Escaping the pocket. And just throws it away. Ran all the way down to the right side of the field. Nothing open. He just throws it away. Classic Rodgers throwing the ball away. Let's see if anything was open here. Here we go. We get it from the back angle, so we get to see it from his perspective. We'll slow it down, and we'll see if anything's open. Did he make the right call here? Here we go. There was five wide. Over the middle. Nothing there. This little zigzag on the left side, that's not open. Nothing open in the middle of the field. Now he's going to the right side. It's covered pretty well. Try to maybe go to the front end zone here. Throw it low and away right here. That's where you got to go. That's where you got to go. Unfortunately, he doesn't take the risk. Doesn't try to flip it in there. We'll point out where he has to go one more time here in full motion. This is it right here. You got to throw it very low. Maybe not right now. Right now. Right here. Right here. This receiver right here. The front of the end zone. He's got a uh, defender right on him. There's kind of like a safety behind him as well. That's why you have to throw it very low to the ground right at the goal line. And I think that could be complete for the touchdown. But Aaron Rodgers doesn't take that risk and ends up throwing it away. Now here we go. Third and goal. Let's see what happens here. Got to pass it here. Let's see what he does. Buying time in the pocket. He decides to run with it and then just falls. Oh, my God. What is that? There's a flag. What's the flag on? It's on the Packers, so it wouldn't have mattered whatever happened, but he just he decides to take off with it, and that's once again, Aaron Rodgers cannot run, yo. He waits way too long, and then he's hesitant when he does so. He goes to run, he gets one yard past the line of scrimmage, and then falls to the ground on third and goal when you know you're going to uh, kick the field goal to tie it up. 
So another flounder job by Aaron Rodgers in the red zone when things are not wide open, when he has to kind of play within the play from 20-yard lines in the red zone. The man flounders big time, y'all. So they kick the field goal to tie it up 20-20, and then Colin Kaepernick is able to go and get him into field goal range to kick the game-winning field goal as time expires. So up until that drive, I was ready to give Aaron Rodgers some good credit there. A lot of just passes dropped by the by the receivers and running the ball a lot of the time. But that 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 right there, that right there of just not getting it done in the red zone is classic Aaron Rodgers. I'm giving him 35 out of 100 credit points for this loss, folks, for this game. So not good, not good. So classic Aaron Rodgers we see the th we see it time and time again the man does not get it done in the red zone when you know he can use you know to the 20 to the to from the 20 to the 20, 60 yards clean. Yes, he's able to sling it around. But when things get tight, when the defense starts to lock up, the man is not that kind of daring. The man doesn't fit it in there. The man is always worried about his completion percentage. That's why, you know, or those interceptions. That's why he always throws the ball away. So Aaron Rodgers, 35 out of 100 credit points for that game. All right, that's going to do it for us today, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching. We are back tomorrow live doing it all over again. No basketball on tonight. Unfortunate. Unfortunate. So, all righty, folks. We'll be back tomorrow live noon Eastern, and we'll see what Aaron Rodgers has next year in the playoffs. We'll see.